It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. If you're new, my name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here. This is your first time joining with us online. I certainly hope it's not your last. Uh, Believe it or not, we have a gift for you. We set out to create a place for people who don't have church or who don't like church to be. So uh, if you're here, we have a gift for you. Find one of our volunteers. If you're online, let us know, and we'll make sure we get you that gift as well. Uh, For all of you dads in the room or or soon-to-be dads in the room, as I know there are uh, at least one of you, maybe more, uh, let me say from the bottom of my heart, happy Father's Day. It is so good to see your faces. For those of you online, happy Father's Day. I'm not seeing your face, and you're totally missing out on that Fielder's Choice gift card. It is the best. If you go, coffee Oreo, by far the best ice cream there. You're going to love it. Uh, But happy Father's Day to you nonetheless. Dad, if you're watching later, happy Father's Day. I'm not going to see you. You're hundreds of miles away, but I love you. I love all of you, and I hope uh, you're ready for this morning. Before we dive into the message, I do want to talk about just one announcement. Brian mentioned it earlier, but this one is near and dear to my heart, and that is Baptism Sunday. Uh, We love baptisms. Baptisms are stories of life change. It's when people um, publicly commit what's already happened in their heart, that they're following after Jesus. So anytime we get to do one, it's exciting, and I'm all for it, and we want to celebrate it as a church. Well, since... Uh, the pandemic and not being around for almost a year, a lot of people have, have come forward and said they're ready to be baptized and haven't had an opportunity. So we are, instead of scattering them all throughout the year, we're going to take one Sunday and celebrate baptism. Uh, we're, August 1st, Baptism Sunday uh, is the date. So <clears throat> if you'd like to be baptized, if you have questions about baptism, find me, find one of the pastors. If you're at home and you think you'd like to be baptized but you're not sure, uh, reach out to us. Let us know. We'll answer your questions and we'll get you signed up. We would love to have as many people as we can up here. We're going to baptize you and talk about what baptism means and just celebrate you on August 1st. So sign up. If you haven't been baptized, if you're following Jesus, this is your next step. We always talk about leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, taking that next step. This is your next step. If you're following Jesus and you haven't been baptized, sign up for baptism. Let us baptize you on August 1st. We are going to conclude our series today, and the hits just keep on coming. Uh, Brian was here last week, and and he did a wonderful job uh, continuing to move the series forward. Um, I'm going to conclude it for you today. I had this this thought as we kind of look back over the last year of our lives. It's always interesting, especially maybe this is just like one of those things that happen the older you get, but you look back and you kind of think harder about the time that you've spent. It's interesting to me, really quite amazing, that what we just went through is going to be in history books, isn't it? Like what we just lived through, somebody's going to be writing about that if they haven't already, and it's going to be in history books. Our kids are going to talk to us about that year, and we're going to have a lot of stories to tell. And some of us may have some really good stories to tell, but others of us may have some bad stories to tell. It was challenging, and not just the result of the pandemic being challenging, but as I've talked to more and more people, it wasn't just the pandemic that happened in 2020 and beginning of 2021. Life kept happening, and the hits just kept on coming. And it was like one after another after another. And when it continues to happen, it kind of leaves us looking like, like God, this, this can't go on forever. Like, eventually, the hits have to stop. Eventually, there's going to be something good, maybe around the corner. or You know, we use that, that song from Pocahontas, around the riverbend or over the next hill, wherever it might be. We, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We hope that it's something good. But the truth is, we're not, we're not really guaranteed that it's something good. We're not sure what's around the next corner, but we all kind of hope Maybe it'll be better than at least what we've just been through. My hope for all of us is is that through this series, that that we wouldn't just hope that there's something better, but that we would have a resilience of our faith, that even if it doesn't get better, even if the hits keep on coming, that that our faith will be solid, that our faith will be proof, whatever. 
pandemic-proof or, or job-loss-proof or infertility-proof, if that's what the season you're going through, or, or relationship-proof, if you feel like a relationship's falling apart. That, that whatever you feel in the blank there, whatever it is that you're going through, <clears throat> that our faith would have such resilience and such strength that regardless of what we're going through, our faith would last. That's really what I hope for all of us, that we would have that kind of a faith, a faith that is impervious to the greatest challenges that we could ever face. Because for some of us, over the last year and a half, we have faced some incredibly challenging things, incredibly challenging seasons and situations. And for some of you, the hits just kept on coming. For others of you, you've survived those seasons and you're in a good season. But as we've seen and as we know, life continues to happen. And the season might come around again. And when it does, my hope is that you have this kind of a faith that, that lasts, that endures, that is strong. That's really what I hope for you. Well, what's interesting is how the world has shifted over the last few generations. And we're going to take just a quick history lesson, and then I'm going to say one thing about this. But the world has really changed over the last uh, hundreds of years, thousands of years, but in particular, really the last few decades, where we really don't need each other as much. We really don't depend on each other as much anymore. There's this kind of break between people and people groups and, and relationships. And it's interesting as you kind of look back to see it play out. We're going to look at, at three kind of major changes, three revolutions. And none of this is going to be new to you. My guess is you probably know all this, but it's interesting to look back and see how, is, how it has affected us. We're going to look at these three, and then I'm just going to make one quick point from our text. Uh, the first one is this. This is a revolution of wealth. The revolution of wealth is when things change from land being the primary commodity to money being the primary commodity. And that happened really thousands of years ago, around 700 BC. That was when the first society began to, to use money as the primary commodity instead of land or, or, or resources or grains or, or whatever it might be. Something changed. Before, it, it, was, it was land. That was the commodity, and, and you gained land when you continued to offer uh, services or resources to people, and that's how you kind of built your wealth. And there was this personal interaction with people as you built that. But as time went on and on and on, it land, uh, land became less of the commodity and money became a commodity. And, and then as time continued to go on, we don't even have to be near each other to exchange money. So, so there's this break in, in, in people. We don't need each other anymore. We don't need each other to in, even to get wealthy and exchange wealth. That's the first revolution. The next revolution is the revolution of work, from, from human work to machine work. And we've seen this play out in, in our society. It's, this is like the industrial revolution. Is we, uh, we got smarter and we became more technical and we built machines to do work for us. They were more efficient and faster. Like, there became less of a dependency on each other, right? Like, I don't have to talk to a machine. Machines don't have feelings, at least we hope they don't have feelings, because that would be really weird. And, you know, if you're a Terminator conspiracy theorist, like, like, you know, you can run down that rabbit hole. But this is, this is a big change. No longer they're, they're this kind of close work relationships where I've got to know you and you've got to know me and we depend on each other. Now we're working with machine and, and there's less of a dependency upon each other. But, but all of those have changed uh, humanity and changed the world, but, but none maybe as much as this last one. And this is the revolution of knowledge. This is the, the change from wisdom to information. This is what we're kind of walking through right now, that, that over the course of centuries, wisdom was passed down to us by, by previous generations. It was passed down by word of mouth, or they would write it and we would read it, and we would study it in books, or we were taught by somebody as, as like a teacher or, or an elder, somebody who was older than us would pass down wisdom. But now information is so readily available to all of us. It, it, it's amazing. It's just really, it, it's just like a Google search away. You don't know Google search it. Or better yet, with our day and age, just ask Alexa. 
My four-year-old daughter is absolutely adorable, and sometimes she runs into the kitchen. We'll have arguments over what a certain fact is, and she'll run into the kitchen, Alexa, Alexa! <laughs> Alexa can barely understand her voice. You know, the, the thing starts spinning orange, and she's spitting out answers, and she gets angry and starts screaming, but, but information is so readily available to her. <clears throat> and if it's not Alexa, maybe it's Siri or Google, whatever it might be. But it's, it's, it's the, the way the world has worked has changed. If you're a parent or you're around kids at all, you know this. Kids don't need us anymore. Isn't that so incredible? I used to ask my dad for wisdom. My girls ask Alexa. What does that say about me? <clears throat> the way information has worked has changed. We're at a place where, where they don't need to read the Encyclopedia Britannica that used to take up our bookshelves in our homes. Do you guys, I, mean, I know I'm old, but do you remember the Encyclopedia Britannica salesman? who come by like every few years. Everybody in their head is around my age or a little older. Everyone else is like, an encyclopedia, what? Yeah, they had encyclopedias, and guys would travel around and sell you the next model because the information changed, and you'd have to spend hundreds or like $1,000 updating your encyclopedia, and that's what you read. You wanted to read something, or you were bad? Go read an encyclopedia. Pull out S. Good luck. <clears throat> Information's changed. We no longer do that. They have the world at their fingertips. And what's really amazing is, is how much this is, is, has excelled our society. Right? We've all benefited from this. We have information available to us at, at, the, at you know, the touch of a watch. We can exchange money and never see each other. There's Venmo. And truthfully, I can exchange money with the touch of a watch. I don't even have to work anymore. I have a machine who does my job. What's really amazing is how we've all benefited, and we've all benefited We've all gotten a little wealthier, and we've, we've consumed more than we ever thought we could. We've, we've purchased more than we've ever thought we'd need. We, we, we live longer, and who doesn't want that? That's awesome. As we continue to age, the lifespan continues to extend. But all of this has come at a cost. And a cost of what? The cost of relationships, really. It, it, we no longer need each other. I don't have to see you to exchange goods, and I don't have to work with you and depend on you and have a relationship to know you to work anymore, and, and I surely don't need what you have to say because I've got Siri or Alexa. Relationships have suffered. And what's interesting is how these relationships have suffered. These, these three revolutions have led to a significant shift away from relationships overall. Money is no longer personal. Uh, work is no longer something that's interpersonal. Knowledge is no longer interpersonal, which has led to a dilemma in our society. It's really this idea that we no longer need each other. But the more we kind of walk this path of no longer leading each other, it led us to this next pandemic, and that is loneliness. Loneliness is perhaps the greatest pandemic. It's the thing that we've suffered with the most through what we just went through. And what's wild is that you don't have to, to uh, be living alone to be lonely. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people who live alone and never feel lonely. There are a lot of people who work and live around a, a, a bunch of people and feel exceptionally lonely. And as the more lonely we become, the more feelings of depression we get, and then the more depressed we get, and, and the more isolated we become. And it just keeps going. As a matter of fact, the health agency has, has done so much research in this. They've tried to compare what it's like to experience loneliness on a day-to-day -day, uh, um, <clears throat> routine, on a day-to-day -day schedule. What is it, what is it, what's the toll it takes on a person to be that kind of, a lo that kind of lonely? 
They made a comparison, and here's, here's what they said. It would be like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the actual effect it has on a person. There's an actual health side effect to feeling lonely. 15 cigarettes a day. Now, if you smoke 15 cigarettes a day, good for you. <clears throat> if you don't, that's the effect. It literally attacks and destroys your body. And this is the cost. We've excelled, and we've become wealthier, and we've excelled, and we've become healthier, and we've excelled, and now we can do so much more with the information and the machines that are available to us, but at the cost of ourselves. No one's in our corner. We've lost those relationships. When things get tough, as they've been tough, who do we go to? See, when the hits keep coming, and they do, the relationships that ground us become essential. So here's the question that we're going to ask over and over again today. Who do you go to? What relationships do you have? When the hits keep coming, and they will keep coming, and you may be on the good season of that now, right? It feels like the pandemic is beginning to end, and we're gathering together, and it's summer in Maine, and I don't know, that just gives everybody energy and excitement. The hits come. Who do you have? You see, this reminds us of what's most important in life, and, and this is something Paul had in spades. We've been in this series of really walking through this one narrative with Paul and Silas, and we're just going to catch up quick if you haven't been here before. Um, <clears throat> Paul and Silas, these are our missionaries. Paul's the, this famous missionary who, who traveled the Mediterranean Rim and planted churches, and on this one journey, he has his buddy Silas with him, and they end up in this town, this kind of Roman town, and <clears throat> they're they're you know, not doing anything yet. They're just kind of walking through town. And as they do, this young girl who has this gift that the scripture says that she has this spirit that gives her the ability to predict the future. She kind of rallies behind them and she starts shouting behind them. These are the men who are holy and, and you know, they're teaching you how to follow Jesus and be saved. And everything she said is right. But she kept saying it. It became really annoying and it's kind of blowing their cover. Like they haven't even had a chance to talk to anyone. And this lady's shouting behind them. After days of this, Paul gets so fed up, he turns around and he points to her and said, enough, like, I've had it, come out. And the spirit comes out of her. And this, this woman, this young girl, experiences freedom. But the, the people who owned this slave, they experience loss because now their money-making scheme is up. So they <clears throat> arrest Paul and Silas and they, you know, beat them and flog them and imprison them. And they're kept in jail overnight. And then at midnight, we find out Paul and Silas in this prison cell, shackled to the ground. They're singing hymns and praying to God, <clears throat> which is just wild for me to think about when you're going through these difficult times. But they're going through what might be the most difficult night of their life, and they're praising God. And then Brian told us last week as the story continued, the people around them are hearing this, and, and I'm sure asking the questions like, what do you have to sing about? Like, you've been beaten, and you've been thrown in jail. You did nothing wrong. Like, what is wrong? And they keep singing, and then this, this amazing thing begins to happen. The, this earthquake shakes the prison. The door opens up, and the, the, the shackles that are on their wrists fall to the ground, and the, the shackles on their feet fall to the ground, and these men who were wrongly imprisoned are now free, and they can walk out. But, but as this story begins to unfold, the prison guard, who, who was like, given strict orders to keep an eye on them and, and, and like, basically like, treat them carefully, make sure that they're there, and when he realizes that Paul and Silas can begin to escape, he thinks, I, I have no hope. If these magistrates come back here and don't find Paul and Silas, they're going to kill me. So he begins to, to, to kill himself. And Paul and Silas say, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. We won't leave. We won't go. You don't have to do this. 
And they show this man grace and mercy. And this man begins to believe maybe there's something different about them. And he begins to understand the story of Jesus. And Paul and Silas, through their grace and mercy, through this single act, it didn't just change this man. It reverberates past this man into this man's household. And his whole household comes to faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus is their Messiah and their Savior. And Paul and Silas, who were set free, like scoop back into the cell and, you know, close the door. And it's okay. Don't do anything. But they've reshackled themselves and they're in prison. And the prison guard escorts them back in. And this is where our story picks up today. They're now back in prison. The prison guard's safe. But he believes and his family believes. And it's wild. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent the officer to the jail with the order. Release those men. All right. We, we, we've, we've had enough. We, we've, we've, you know. We've accused them, we've beaten them, we've flogged them. They've been in jail over, over all, like all night. Just, just let them go. Release them. So the jailer, he told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Like, this is amazing. This is good news. Your story, it's incredible. It's like tragic, and then it's more tragic, and then it's miraculous, and then it's grace and mercy, and now it's good. This is awesome. You can go home. Go in peace. <clears throat> but Paul's not having any of this. As you know, and as we continue to read about Paul, he's like this, this guy who's just like driven and, and he's not okay with what happened. He's, he's, I'm sure he's thinking like, seriously? After all you did to us? Like, like we're, we're, Paul's a Roman citizen, Silas is a Roman citizen. He's like, this is wrong. You, you shouldn't have done this. Here's Paul's response to being set free. <clears throat> but Paul said to the officers, hold on, let me get this straight. You beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens. Then you throw us into prison and, and, and now, if I'm understanding this right, you just want to get rid of us. You just want us to go away quietly. Like, like let's not shine a light on this. Just, just sneak out and leave. Like, no, 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 I'm not okay with this. I, when I read this part of the story, I, I think to myself, Paul, like, just shut up and go. Like, just leave. They're letting you go. Like, look, at, it was tragic and tragic. And then it was miraculous. The doors opened up. And then you did the amazing thing and you stayed to save this guy. And then he really got saved and he found Jesus. And now they're opening the door for you and you're like, no, 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 no. Like, leave. This is one of those stories that, like, when you tell your friends later and, and they're, you say, I said this. And they're like, no, did you really say that? And like, no, no, I thought it, though. Like, I thought it. <laughs> Paul tells this story to his friends later. Like, Paul, did you really say that? And he's like, no, I said every word of it. No, you didn't. So I was like, no, I'm, I swear. He told every word of it. He said, he said it all. I don't know why. He's like, he's stubborn and he's Paul. He said it all. This is like one of those things that, you know, when you have a bad experience, it's like, no, I want to see your manager. Like, there's got to be somebody above you. Send them here. That's who I'm talking to. This is that, that moment for Paul. It's when everyone else who's around Paul is like, oh, it's about to get bananas in here. Get me the popcorn. Can't wait to watch. Like, this is that kind of a moment. You just want, you, like, you, you, like, you beat us, you imprison us, all of this wrongly. I'm a Roman citizen. You had no right to do this. And now you just want to skirt the issue and get rid of us quietly? No, I'm not having any of this. Still, I think, Paul, just go. Like, it's okay. Count this as a win and leave. This is Paul's response. No, 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 no. Let them, the magistrates, the people who wrongly accused us and wrongly beat us and wrongly threw us in prison, let them come down here and escort us out themselves. I mean, like, the nerve, right? Like, there is this attitude from Paul. And I got to be honest, I'm, like, here for it all. Like, I'm eating it up. Like, go get them. I don't know that I do that, but Paul, more power to you. No, 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 no. You want to skirt this? You want us to leave quietly? No, no. Come down here yourselves and walk us out. I mean, there is just, like, nerve, like, what would you do in Paul's situation? 
How would you handle that? Would you just leave? Would you go? I was like, no, no, you've done something. Like, I don't care about the night in jail. Like, I've suffered bumps before. I've had hard times. It hits. Just keep on coming for me. That's, oh, that's besides the point. You did something wrong, and I want everyone to know that what you did was wrong, and it's not allowed. No, I'm not leaving. You come down here yourself, and you walk me out. I mean, I just, I, I, I imagine Paul is, at this point, thoroughly exhausted, right? He's been up all night with the, the, the ordeal, being beaten, everything. But he's not just exhausted. Now he's sassy. And he's going to push. And he's going to get his way. The officer reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, it was like, uh-oh. They were alarmed. They knew they shouldn't have done what they had done. So what did the magistrates do? They come to appease Paul and Silas. I imagine this kind of thing like never happened. Magistrates never come down and walk a prisoner out of cell, out of their cell like, sorry, we shouldn't. Like, no, 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 that didn't happen. This happened for Paul. They appeased them and they escorted them from the prison. I imagine with like a gift basket with like a cute little handwritten card signed by all the magistrates. We're really sorry. We shouldn't. Would you just take this gift and kind of go and, and never come back? They asked them to leave the city. And it seems like that's the end. Like Paul and Silas won. God, God had this incredible story. It was tragic and tragic, and then it was miraculous, and then there was grace and mercy, and then God even continued through all of it to release them and let them out. It seems like that's the end. But it's not. How do you think in this moment Paul and Silas felt? I mean, I, I imagine that they're, they're tired. There's, there's physical pain because, I mean, they'd just been flogged the day before. They're, they're, they're leaving, but they're probably not walking upright. They're lipping out a little bit. There's some pain. They're frustrated. They're angry. Maybe they're excited. Maybe they just want to celebrate like, hey, we're out of prison. It's over. God released us. And he saved a whole household in the mix. Maybe they just needed to blow off some steam. <clears throat> when the hits kept coming, where do Paul and Silas go? We're going to read the end of this chapter. This next verse is so interesting to me because it's so telling about what we need when the hits keep coming. Paul and Silas went through this awful, this tragic ordeal, and God showed up. He continued to do things, even in their midst, even in the midst of what seemed like hardship and pain and tragedy. God was continuing to do something. And at the end of it all, what do Paul and Silas do? After Paul and Silas come out of prison, they go to Lydia's house. And you may find yourself asking, who's Lydia? If you were going to read all of Acts 16, you'd find a little bit more about Lydia. You'd read about her conversion story. <clears throat> Lydia's this, this wealthy lady who has been converted, who, who began to trust in Jesus. She's this, <clears throat> this uh, dealer of purple. Really, purple was like this, this really kind of expensive uh, garment and color, and that's what she did. Her whole trade was dealing in purple. She would exchange fabric made of purple and it made her lots of money. She was really wealthy. But when she met Paul, she began to understand that God had a plan for her life and Jesus had a purpose and Jesus was her savior and that Jesus died on the cross to cover her sin and he rose again to provide a better life for her than even all of this wealth could afford her. And she began to trust in Jesus and she had this, this elaborate house. It was Probably a crib that would have showed up on MTV Cribs if you're old enough to know what that was. And if you're not, it was definitely on HGTV, <clears throat> you know, house of the year kind of a thing. Like she just had a big house and she, that's who she was. She was very hospitable and loving and she, she was key to some of Paul's work. 
she wasn't there alone. She was in her house, but she was in her house with, with a crew of people. Paul and Silas came out of prison and they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. They come out of prison and the first place they go is to the brothers and sisters. And we're not talking about like familial relationships like brothers and sisters. We're talking about like, like people who, who have gone through life with them, like people who have, who have gone through the, the highest highs and people who have walked with them through the lowest lows. Like, like these are the people that, that they just, they want to run to and they want to talk about the, the ordeal that just happened and maybe get some steam off and, 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 you know, explode in their anger and then celebrate and rejoice in what happened or maybe get a little bit emotional about the ordeal they just went through. Paul and Silas run to these people and, and, and they just kind of, Encourage them, and they're encouraged by them, and they're built up. Paul and Silas run to their community, their community of people who build them up, and who encourage them, and who love them. And, and to us, they're nameless. Right? Acts 16 doesn't give any names. To Paul and Silas, they weren't. These weren't nameless. These weren't faceless people. As a matter of fact, in another one of, of Paul's letters, he writes this to the Christians that are scattered throughout Rome. <clears throat> if you've never read Romans before, you should absolutely read Romans. I've just finished my personal study in it, and it is some of the most weighty kind of theological, uh, uh, definitely Paul's most theological writing. You should dive into Romans. It's amazing. But, but in, in the course of Romans and, and unpacking all of these deep theological meanings and, and how God works and how God wants to work through us, he concludes this letter by, by addressing the brothers and sisters. He actually lists 29 names. He, he actually begins to, to unfold these 29 names of people that, that to him are like, like family. They're like brothers and sisters. These are the people that to him aren't nameless. He actually reads through them. What's interesting is he gathers with, with these people. He, he gathers with his community and they, they encourage one another. And then the verse ends with these three letters. <clears throat> Sorry, three words. Then they left. Then they, they just went on because their life had a mission. Their life had a purpose. Their life had, had more to do. It wasn't like one bump on the road wasn't like supposed to just level them and, and level the playing field and no, we're done and we'll never do this again. There's still a purpose that needs to be fulfilled. So we'll come and we'll get encouraged and we'll build each other up and we'll laugh and we'll have a meal and we'll feel good and then we'll get back to what needs to be done. For some of you, you might need to hear that. That regardless of the hits that you've encountered, that you've suffered, your life still has a purpose. You still have meaning. You still have a job to be done. Don't sit and don't let this thing level you and take you out of the game. There's still something that needs to be accomplished through you. You have a purpose. Don't let this take you out of the game. But what I really want to focus on here is the brothers and sisters. We're going to read through Romans 16 because I think it's just really interesting that Paul would unpack all of this theology and then take a whole chapter to highlight the people, to, to, to pay credit to, to where credit was due. Romans 16, Paul gives us all of these names, and we're going to put them up on the screen here. You can actually see the names, and then we're going to read through them. Paul unpacks all of these weighty theological things, and then he closes with this. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of, I'm not going to get all these names right, Kenchesery. I asked you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the people and to give her any help that she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the church of the Gentiles 
are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who've been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in, uh, in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, my dear friend Statius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia. Greet Tri- Tryphosa, <clears throat> those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen by the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritius, Phlegion, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with him. Greet Philogius, Julius, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, why would I have to read through all those names? Because it's important enough for Paul to mention It's important enough for Paul to say, look, it's not just me. It's not just me doing this work. I may be kind of leading the charge and planting churches, but these are 29 people who stood behind me and prayed for me, who encouraged me. This was my community. These are the people that I depend on the most. Some helped him and some were helped by him. But when he was writing this letter, and in Romans, he was going through another one of those hits that just kept on coming, and it was challenging. And I'm sure he felt down. He was imprisoned again. These were the people who were on his mind. These were the people Paul was thinking about when he wrote his letter. So what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? There's a military term that I'm going to point us to that kind of talks about the process of, of somebody really had to take an assessment after you've been through something really dramatic, really hard, like a bomb being dropped on your life. It's called a bomb damage assessment, a BDA. And it's just kind of taking a step back after you've been through something really hard and really traumatic and assessing your life. And let's be honest, for all of us through the pandemic, it was challenging. But for some of us, it was extra challenging because the hits just kept on coming. And what I want to challenge you to do is, is to do a BDA. Take, take a bomb damage assessment of your life. Where am I at and, and, and who was with me and, and how did I suffer and how do I begin to move forward? Maybe th- throughout this time you had a, a daughter who was married but couldn't have a real wedding or a child who was supposed to graduate but couldn't have a real graduation. Maybe you lost somebody you loved or, or perhaps somebody you loved had a child and you weren't there to celebrate with them. Maybe you got some really bad news. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost all of your income. Maybe you lost somebody who was so dear to you. Maybe you experienced loneliness. You know, we've all had moments of loneliness before, but not like this. Maybe it was one of those seasons where you just felt so overwhelmed. And there were people around you and you were quarantined in the house together, but it was just lonely. I want to challenge you. Would you do what Paul did? When he's suffering through his challenge, through a hit that just kept on coming, would you take a moment and would you list out the people that keep you grounded? 
And I know what you're thinking. Some of you think, oh, I can kind of do that in my head. And, and I, here's what I really want to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to write it out like Paul did. Why do I have to write it out? Because it's good to see the name. It's good to, to walk through it and to remember it, to have a list. Because this season of, of hardship may have passed, but another one may be up around the corner somewhere. And when it comes, you're going to want to know, who are the people that keep me grounded? Who are the people that help my faith lock in to withstand anything that life might throw at me. But you create a list. Paul came up with 29 names. You don't have to. But could you come up with a few? Could you get a list? And, and here's, here's one of the reasons why I want you to get a list. Not just so that you look at it and you can visually see the names. But then the next part of this challenge is then I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them that, hey, you are one of the people that, that I have depended on the most. You are one of the people who helped get me through this. You're one of the people that I went to when I needed encouragement and I needed to be picked up or I needed to blow off some steam and shout and yell or I, I needed to just share a meal and have a laugh. You're one of those people. And I need you to know that. I need you to know that I depend on you that way. But here's what else I need you to know. I want to be that for you. Would you tell them? I remember, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about what I've been through, but you know that my wife was given a diagnosis of cancer a few months ago. I remember the day it happened, and I'm not an overly emotional person. I cry about my girls all the time, but aside from my girls, I'm really not overly emotional. I got the news, and I was fine. Went downstairs, I started my work, and I'm on the treadmill, and I don't know what came over me, but I'm running on the treadmill, and I just start weeping like a baby. See, it takes a real dad, a real man to say, I weep like a baby. I wept, and I didn't know what to do. And my first reaction wasn't to get angry and throw my fist at God. My first reaction was to call my friend. I, let, I literally stopped the, the treadmill, walked off the treadmill, picked up my phone, all wheezy from running on a treadmill, tear streamed, looking like a, a you know, probably a, just a, a little bit of a fool. And I picked up my phone, barely being able to talk through it, and called the one guy I know who would take the call every time. Who do you have? Who do you go to when the hits keep on coming? Who do you call that picks you up and encourages you and lets you get off whatever you have to get off? And I got some nasty things off my chest that I'm sure he didn't want to hear. And when I was done getting everything off my chest and, and, and done kind of unloading, and then the encouragement came. And then the prayer came. And I got off the phone call smiling when a half hour ago I was weeping like a fool. Who do you go to? Tell them. Let them know this is how much you mean to me. You may not realize that, but you're the first person I call. You're the first person I text. You're the person I want to go and I want to get a coffee with and, and talk this thing through. Tell them. And then the last step, make yourself available to them. And my guess is this is the step that's hardest for us because life Life gets busy. I mean, we just came out of a season where like, life was like put on pause, right? Everything slowed down. But as we're coming out of this, life's beginning to pick back up again. And before we know it, we're going to be right back in the business like we were in 2019. And another hit's going to come, and, and <clears throat> somebody's going to ask you, hey, do, do you have people to go to? Do, do, you, have, do you have that list? Yeah, I, 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 I listened to Jim. I actually followed what he said that Sunday. And I made a list, which props to you. I have the list, and I'm walking through the list, and, 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 and that's awesome. Did you tell them? Yeah, I actually told them. Did you make yourself available to them? Well, you know, things got busy. Sports, 
picked up again and my job picked up and there was summer activities. And What if they need you as much as you need them? Would you make yourself available to them? Who are your people? I added a new person to my list this morning, little Lucille. First time I met her, she cuddled right into my chest, and I thought, you know what? This is what I need. I just need a baby <laughs> hug. It just makes you feel good. Who's on your list? And maybe you're sitting here, and you're thinking, Jim, that's great for, like, everybody else, but I don't even know where to start. I don't have any relationship like that. Then let me give you some encouragement. This, <clears throat> this is exactly why God created the church. And when I say the church, I'm not just talking about the global church. I'm in particularly talking about you people and you watching online in Journey Church. If you would say to yourself, I don't have those relationships, I don't have a community. Here's the amazing thing. The beauty of the church is that there is always a community waiting for you. If you need those relationships, if you need a friend, if you need somebody to talk to, there are those people sitting here waiting to hear your story. And perhaps you're here and you're thinking, yeah, but no one knows what I've been through. and No one would no one understand. Here's the thing. There are people here who need your story. There are people here who need to know what you've been through and need to know maybe the mistakes you've made or how you've, you've gotten through it and you overcame it. Your story matters. You matter. You matter to, to, to the people in this room, to the people who are watching online, and you absolutely matter to God. And if you need a community of people to rally around you and encourage you and lift you up, then you are in the right place. That is why God created his church, to be a community of people who would lift each other up and not tear each other down, who would encourage each other, who would pray for each other. So if you're here and you say, Jim, I can't even make a list, just write Journey Church at the top because we are your community. We're waiting for you. And if you're sitting at home and you're thinking, yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm not ready. When you're ready, we're here and we're waiting for you. And perhaps you're one of the people who say, yeah, I, I can't do that. I tried that once and the church failed me. And maybe that's why you don't go to church anymore and someone dr drug you here today. Or maybe that's why you kind of gave up on your faith and you put it down. Let me challenge you just this one time. Let me beg you. Give the church another chance. Not the building the community of people who follow Jesus. That's why we're here. Because we want to be like Jesus. And that's what Jesus was for us. Who's your community? Who are the people that you need in your life? That you go to when things are hard, that you go to when you need to blow off steam, that you go to when you just need to throw a party and celebrate. Would you write it down? Would you tell them? And would you make yourself available to them? And if you don't have one, you put my name at the top of the list. I can be that community with you. And so can Journey Church. That's ultimately what I want for you. To have a faith that lasts, that endures, that regardless of what life will throw at you, that your faith will stand strong and firm because your eyes are on Jesus and a community of people are supporting you. In light of that, let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this incredible story. God, and it's not just a, a, a fairy tale that we tell our kids at night, but God, this is an amazing, an amazing, amazing story of Paul and Silas. God, there is so much to be learned from this, but I, I pray, God, that, that we would learn these key things, that we would trust you, that you are at work in our lives even when we can't see you and even when things look 
their very worst. God, I pray that, that not only would we learn to trust on you, but that we would depend on the people that you've put around us, Lord, the, the community of believers, the, the people, God, that are there to lift us up and to encourage us. God, would you help us to make note of that? Would you help us, God, to even offer ourselves to them and say, we are here for you, just like you've been there for us. And God, would we support and love each other through all the hard times that come, and God, even through the good times that come. God, and if the hits keep on coming, would you surround us with those people? Would you build us up? Would you encourage us? I love you, Lord, and I thank you for always being at work in our lives. God, and I do believe that there are better days ahead. Maybe not right around the corner. God, maybe it's the next one, but there are better days ahead. God, anytime we follow after you, things in our lives do get better. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.